My name's Cutter Calloway, and I'm Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio. Welcome to TV and Theology, an audio series in which we construct a theology of television to help viewers more fully engage with the power and meaning of TV. This season, I talk with TV writer and my co-author, Dean Batali. Welcome to uh, another episode of our Theology and TV Conversation. Uh, Welcome back, and uh, we're going to hit the ground running here, talking a little bit more about communication and about how... Uh, people participate in television and how they contribute maybe some meaning to it, how they contribute uh, part of how we understand it. Um, The last couple uh, episodes, we've talked about communication as transmission and communication as ritual or the shaping of what we desire or love. Um, But there's another way of thinking about communication, and that is our sort of embodied commitment or affect of awareness, meaning Part of what we do when we engage in any sort of uh, media, any sort of art form, is we come into contact with it, we encounter it, and it involves us. And if it doesn't, it kind of, we would say, doesn't work if it's not involving us in some emotional way, some some uh, deeply felt way. Um, a great book uh, on a, a theology of this is uh, Bill Dernis wrote a book called Poetic Theology. Um, recommend that. And here's a, a quote that he says. He says, the significance that contemporary people derive from these activities, like TV watching, has not only a human meaning, but a possible theological reference as well. That is, the drive that moves them to pursue the goods associated with their passions is a movement of the soul that, if nurtured more deeply and oriented rightly, would lead them to God. Um, And this is directly a riff off of Augustine's, uh, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Um, but it's essentially saying that that anytime we encounter something in our life, and in this case, TV, a TV text that that moves us deeply. So um, Dean and I both <laughs> watched uh, True Detective, and this is probably it's uh, episode four, but it's late in the game. We should warn you, there will always be spoilers, um, <laughs> and just be ready for it. So we'll say True Detective spoiler alert. Um, both are just were emotionally gripped by the the show as a whole, but at, at the very end. Um, was really just this profound moment um, that all sort of hinged upon, and we won't spoil it entirely, um, the final few lines um, that were deeply emotional for both of us. And that was part of what made it meaningful for us. That was part of what I would say made it kind of a spiritual moment for me. Um, And part of what I want to talk about is how that relates to the presence and activity of God. How is is God involved in that process? Dean earlier said that all artists are arrogant. Um, they maybe see themselves as God in a certain sense. So, so Dean, talk uh, from I the think God we perspective. See our, I think we see ourselves as Moses. <laughs> oh, so maybe, yeah. Or, the, as, or as Paul. An oracle a, of God. A, a, little, a, little, okay. a little bit, yeah. Well, how do you think about um, the way you're drawing an audience in? What, what do you allow for the audience to contribute? So when I'm sitting there watching True Detective, obviously all of my life, all of my background, everything I'm bringing to it contributes to that in a way that that um, that the, the the writers, the creators couldn't control. Yeah. Um, how do you think about that as someone who's making TV? 
what role does the audience play in, in contributing that meaning? Well, there's an actual practical level that the audience plays in television that it doesn't play in film or art. Because television, um, serialized television, is a continuing art form, right? So a film is made, and the audience responds to it, and there's nothing the filmmaker can do to change what he or she has made. It's done, and the response is what it is. But a television series, if a series is out there and episodes are out there, we have this thing called the Internet now where people can actually comment on and participate in the future of the show. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer came on in 19... 98, 99. Buffy fans will know more than I. But this was kind of like just the beginning of the internet. And we actually had one of the first chat rooms and there was like 11 or 12 people who would come on and chat about the show. And we actually listened to them and we actually adjusted some of the stories. Hmm. This is a hidden fact about the history of Buffy that changed the course of some of the character things because the things they were liking or not liking. So there is an actual... Um, a literal kind of involvement in yeah. terms of what does the audience like about it. And this is, a, of course, this is a series. I'm talking about a series that continues. Something like True Detective was yeah. a limited series. It's done. It's over. But um, there actually is a lot of give and take. And some of it is, as much as we want to be arrogant auteurs as writers, we actually want to please people as well. Mm-hmm. So if we're like angering people <laughs> based on our story choices and our character choices, generally there's a way that, you know, we want people to be happy with what we do. It doesn't sure. mean we don't want to, you know, um, stir them up a little bit, piss them off a little bit, but we generally wanted them to keep watching. Yeah. So there is an actual physical <laughs> um, response to that. Um, I don't, you know, we are thinking about our audience on a general level, I talked about it in the last episode, we want them to keep watching, but I don't think, very few writers that I've talked to really think about how is this affecting hmm. the audience, um, the way I think God is thinking about how does his culture affect sure. the audience, his creation, certainly how does his word in the Bible, what was the purpose of that? Sure. Um, it's a level that most writers that I've been writing with don't think about. Yeah, even on the humor level, I think you've said jokes aren't even the best joke or even the one for the audience, but it's what makes you all in the writer's room laugh. Uh, It's been said that television comedy, one of the reasons that it's hard to be great is that every joke is the winner of a contest because we sit in a room and sometimes we're looking at a specific page and we need a a joke right here for this character and it has to be about bananas. So we sit there for 15 or 20 minutes trying to come up with the the right joke and whichever joke gets pitched that we all laugh at first is this joke that makes it. Even when we're writing stories, breaking stories, coming up with story ideas, it's like we need an act break here, and whichever whoever comes up with the best idea first is the mm-hmm. idea that goes in. That's mm-hmm. not... Sometimes you get great art, but sometimes you just get something that's finished, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's, it's interesting to think about uh, this element of real participation and, and sort of uh, pseudo-participation, especially yeah. post-internet. Um, so you hear all these stories that are similar to that, of you get a chat room and people are, are affecting things. Well, even if it's uh, not just what happens to the show, but whether the show continues. Well, now, that's you right. You get all these uh, sort of audience uh, boycotts. Used to, they they boycott the show itself or the, the network, but that didn't work. So now... Um, they'll boycott the primary sponsor. So we're not yeah. going to go eat at Sonic uh, right. to you know, really get the... Or they'll do like watch cots, where it's like everybody's watching and sending stuff to the networks that they want to keep on the air. It's interesting now in our culture, you know, I talk about Buffy at the time, it was airing live. And if you didn't see it live, you didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could record it, of course. But now, and so if you wanted to participate in it um, at the time, you had to be watching it at the time. Um, nowadays, though... More people are watching via streaming 
after the fact, sometimes years later. Mm -hmm. So suddenly they're participating in a conversation that took place 15 years mm -hmm. ago. Um, recently, um, live viewing of television shows like Glee and Scandal have actually been on the rise. It used to be that watching on DVR was on the rise, but now people want to be a part of the conversation as it happened. So they're live tweeting, they're going to chat rooms while they're watching mm -hmm. the show, mm -hmm. actually. That's kind of a different, interesting phenomenon. You know, it's the water cooler for the internet age. Did you see the show last night? Well, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you have to have seen the show last night. Mm -hmm. So actually viewing is kind of starting to tick upwards because people want to participate yeah. it in a way. Yeah. Although, again, some people now, you're coming five years later to a show and binge watching when you already maybe even know what happened. Yeah, it's why, uh, part of why, uh, at least I've started using the term, and Dean seems to like it, of trace. Because... In the past, you'd watch Buffy and you have one conversation. Now, if you go and, and Netflix it, you could you have a whole group of people that are watching on Netflix this trace of a thing, but having a totally different kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, or for me recently, it was uh, 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 Fresh Off the Boat, I think, just premiered. Uh -huh. And I DVR'd it because I wanted to see it and uh, I haven't watched it yet. But my, some of my coworkers did the, the sort of water cooler thing. Yeah. Did you watch it? I'm like, oh, no, actually, I, I recorded it. I wasn't able to get to it. It's on my DVR, though. And they said, well, make sure you watch it in the next three days. And I'm like, why? And, and actually, both my coworkers are Asian-American. And so they're really passionate about it and want to see it, it, yeah. it happen. And they go, because that it'll still count. And I'm like, what do you mean? And <laughs> they said it's the, you know, instead of an overnight, it's like a three-day delay yeah. on DVR. So the whole it still practice, counts in the ratings, but if you don't watch a show, yeah. it's you know networks are now looking at what's called live plus seven day DVR viewing. So this is the people who watched it the night that it aired plus in the following seven days, and if it falls after the seven days, it doesn't really count yeah. for the Nielsen ratings and whether or not the show is going to stay on the air. Which is fascinating because it it again gets back at nobody yet has quite figured out how up in the air all of the different ways, the different practices of TV watching are headed, yeah. um, how to count viewers, how to know if a show's successful. Um, and so a big part of it, and, and actually I want us to talk about that in the next episode of, of that listening question. How do you listen uh, to your audience? Um, but, but the interesting thing for me is um, all of this participatory uh, uh, audience sort of interaction um, whether it's, uh, you know, watching Buffy later, whether it's fresh off the boat, um, even uh, um, for Survivor, for reality mm -hmm. TV shows, you have whole groups of people that are, there's a game that they play to try to figure out who's voted off before the episodes air. And so they have aerial maps of the show. They have people that go and sneak online and they even have their own sort of uh, system of codes and rules of what you can and can't do yeah. to try to basically break the code yeah. before it's revealed. Um, and the producers and, uh, you know, Jeff Probst and others have now started interacting by intentionally trying to sort of play this cat and mouse game where they will um, sort of put red herrings out of, for example, where tribal council will be. Yeah. And they'll be led in the in the little online communities like, oh, no, they fooled, you know. So it's this really interesting uh, relationship between producers and consumers that's radically changed. It is very a very new thing. People are participating more in television than ever. If you like a show, I mean, almost everybody will do some searches about the storylines, about the actors and actresses, and want to talk about it more. And, and even as, you know, it used to be a hit show was watched by 30 million to 40 million people the night that it aired. Well, now it's only watched by 15 million people. It might be watched... But over the course of that plus seven now, we're actually getting back to those 30 or 40 million numbers. And even if a show on cable, you know, a show like Girls only has a million viewers, a show like Mad Men has uh, anywhere from three to five, 
it's a smaller group, but it's, you know, it's like, um, you know, it, it's like their own church. It's yeah. like the, the, we are this group of people who like this thing and we have this secret symbol amongst ourselves. And, oh, you're one of us. You're like me. Um, you know, cult cult shows don't kind of fly under the radar anymore. But these shows that hardly have any viewers stay on the air because their fans are so yeah. rabid and really embrace. So you have them. a million or two million deeply passionate fans right. versus 30 million casual observers. Right, right, right. So, um kind of getting back to Simpsons and the reason I knew it was 26 seasons um, and then your your comment of a sort of cultic like following um, when I was reading up on the Simpsons uh, someone comment commented when it moved to Sunday nights you know this mm-hmm. was really a a church like thing when people went uh, to the Simpsons as their ritual mm. um, you have the the online uh, or the the maybe uh, tweeting or whatever with live uh, showings and then you move to uh, televised events. Um, right now, recording this, it's about a week after the Super Bowl, which mm-hmm. is literally, I, I wrote an article that was on Christianity Today last week. Did you read that? I sent it to you? And it was on on uh, televised uh, football. Whether you yeah. sent it to me, whether I read it or different oh, questions. Did you, did you read it? I don't think you sent oh, okay. it to me. Um, <laughs> well, basically, I, I you know, I'm saying uh, it's pretty obvious that football is our civic religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what the NFL is trying to do is to create in its stadiums the at-home viewing experience, because the TV experience of football um, is so much better <laughs> than even the with stadium With instant experience. replays and everything. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, they, they want to, uh, in your seats, have a video with instant replay where you can check your fantasy scores, where you can live tweet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, similar to the to the people that used to go to the baseball game with the radio, mm-hmm. you know, but, but quite different. Um, but all getting back to, it is this ritual observance. Every Sunday, our entire, I mean, Everybody watches the Super Bowl, even if you couldn't care less about football. Even if you dislike football, you're watching it for commercials, whatever. Um, what do you see as you as you say those words? Um, it's it's like their own little religion, you know, yeah. a million religiously devoted to girls. <clears throat> How do you see um, um, the the practice of TV watching being like and unlike religion? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, we talk about the Super Bowl or football. It's like religion when it's appointment television, but television is very much not appointment television anymore. You don't have to sit down every Sunday night to watch The Simpsons. You mm-hmm. can sit down Tuesday morning or whenever you want to watch The Simpsons. So it's a little less so. As much as people do want to watch live, even scripted events, they don't have to. So if you miss it, it's not like church. If you don't show up at 11 or 9 or whatever, you're going to miss it. Now you can you can see it later. But I do think there's this, um, at least when your show's on the air and, it's, and you are watching it live once a week, there's this place you want to be and you set aside the time because you want to be home mm-hmm. Seven o'clock or ten o'clock on a given night to watch the show that's on the air, um, and then you generally want to talk about it. I mean, in a practical sense, um, yes, church is supposed to be participatory and worship mm-hmm. is participatory, but sermons generally aren't. Sermons are generally mm-hmm. I'm sitting here listening to what's happening, and that's what television is like. It's not as participatory at the moment, but it is communal. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a chance to experience an event, whether it's scripted or not, and I'm talking more about scripted, mm-hmm. and then communicate about it, mm-hmm. and also, again, learn from it. What did I just—and that's what part of this conversation is about. How am I different, having mm-hmm. experienced this um, drama, this scripted programming, these jokes than when I was before I started. Mm-hmm. And that's something which I know we're going to talk about more, but it's something that really kind of drives us here. How mm-hmm. did the meaning of this show 
change us, alter us, tweak our worldview, make us better, make us different, make us worse? How does art affect our soul? And how does art affect the community? And that's where I think it can be talked about in a way, in the same way that religion does. And not yeah. enough people talk yeah. about this. How are we different mm -hmm. because of having experienced these shows, this series? Are we better or are we worse? Yeah, it's a great point of the issue of transformation. And yeah. I think on the whole, um, whether they, they call it religious or not, or theological or Christian at all, most people would say a, a piece of art, uh, a work of art is, is meaningful, is important, is successful, based upon whether or not it's transformative on right. some level. Like it, it deepens you in some way, it, it opens you up to, to the world in a new way. Um, and I, th I think you're right, that's a, a, a deeply Christian thing, and it's a contribution the church has to make of of affirming when it is communal and saying, yeah. how, how is it and why is it that we're drawn to that sort of that communal and, thing? And too many churches assume that you're worse off after watching television. And yeah, my argument exactly. is, if you find the right kinds of television, you can be better off. My argument to the people of, to the faith of the church is not that they should be, is that they should be watching more TV. Yeah. You just have to be watching the right kind of TV. Right. I think it's worth the time. And maybe watching it in the right kind of way. That's too. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's actually a great setup. Our, our next episode, we'll talk about um, what it's like to live on the margins of society as a church and and what that means, what it means to watch the right kind of TV and how we respond um, to the transformative or the maybe deforming aspects in some cases of TV. Uh, is it always so clear cut? And how, how might we as um, as leaders of the church, um, help that and help people uh, engage Good. TV thoughtfully like that. So Great. Um, more to come on our next episode. Thanks again for joining us and uh, engaging uh, in some way, shape or form. Hopefully you'll start throwing up your own podcast so Dean and I can respond to you um, and shape uh, the next part of the series. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu studio.